Welcome to our 148th podcast and 118th as a city on a hill church. Who is Jesus? It's a question we should ask and answer every day of our lives, for it's in this answer that our eternity lies. Who is he? What has he done for us? And what or who gives him the power and integrity that we can rely on him? Pastor Mike answers these questions in this single message, one you will and should never forget. Here is Pastor Michael Clark. I've entitled this message this morning, Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? If you'd like to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to read verses 5 to 11, sort of a compilation of a few messages that I taught in this series. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So again, the question, who is Jesus? I think that this is a fantastic snapshot, kind of encapsulating as an overview of who Jesus Christ is. And we're really not going to stay here. We're going to use this sort of as a springboard this morning. Um, but you notice here right away that Jesus is God. Have this attitude in yourselves, verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God to be a thing grasped. In other words, Jesus didn't have to prove anything. He didn't have to convince. He didn't feel the need to convince anyone uh, of who he was. He just is who he is, and he was who he was. And uh, he didn't uh, feel that he needed equality with God, a thing that he had to strive for. He is God. He's God's Son, the only begotten Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And he was and is the highest one. He was there uh, in heaven, and he existed in the form of God. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He was in the highest place imaginable on his throne in heaven, and he stepped down off of his throne to take the lowest place possible to become a human being, to live and be uh, uh, the propitiation, the substitutionary atonement for your sins and for mine and for the sins of the whole world. You can't get any higher than he was, and you can't get any lower uh, than he came who emptied himself, verse 7, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. He didn't empty himself of his godhood. He didn't empty himself of being God. He can't ever stop being God. He's God. He emptied himself of his power, of his position, and his privileges as being God, the Son, 
to come and to dwell among us, to take a human body and to come and to live a perfectly sinless life so that he could be a substitutionary atonement on the cross of Calvary for our sins. It says he, verse 8, being found in appearance as a man, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's interesting, if you uh, turn to Isaiah chapter 45 in the Old Testament, and you really don't have to hold your place there uh, in Philippians, and I go uh, pretty quickly, I have this all marked out in my Bible, so if I'm going too fast, you may just want to take notes and uh, look it up later or, uh, or or listen to the sermon again. But Isaiah 45, this is this is so interesting to me because... As Paul the Apostle is quoting uh, there in uh, Philippians chapter 2, he's quoting actually from the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 45, as we're going to see here in a minute. Isaiah 45 verse 21 says this, Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Isaiah 45 21. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none except me. Now, class, who is it that's speaking? It's God that's speaking very clearly, right? God is speaking. Is it not I? There's no God besides me, a righteous God and Savior. There is none except me. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back that to me every knee will bow and every tongue will swear allegiance. So what do we, what do we see here? We see that Jesus is God. In Philippians chapter two, this is speaking of Jesus. At the name of Jesus Christ, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, it's God here who says, to me, myself, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. And so right from the beginning, we see that Jesus was not just a man. He was much more than just a human being, just uh, more than, than just a man that was uh, dwelling uh, among us. He was God in the flesh. And not only is he God in the flesh, one day uh, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So this is Christmas time. I loved all the beautiful Christmas music and 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 just gorgeous uh, uh, songs and psalms of Jesus here celebrating his birth. And so as we celebrate Christ's birth, uh, who who is Jesus? The scriptures record for us that Jesus Christ is the only begotten son of God, that he was born of a virgin. No one's ever been born of a virgin before then or since then. Only Jesus born of the Virgin Mary, that Jesus is the one who gave sight to the blind. Uh, he gave sight to people who were born blind. And so uh, everywhere that he went, he made a mark. He made 
uh, an impact. He would go to heal the sick. He even healed the lepers. I mean, leprosy to this day is still something that is highly contagious. They've just recently come up with a treatment for leprosy. Uh, really not a cure, more of a treatment for ongoing leprosy. Jesus healed the lepers. Uh, and so he made an impact on uh, his nation everywhere he went. He was merciful and compassionate to the poor. He cared for the downtrodden, for the widows and the orphans. Uh, indeed, he was accused of being the friend of sinners because Jesus Christ came to save man from their sins. Jesus brought the dead back to life. Uh, it, it is interesting if you read when he raised Lazarus, the, the, the last of three people that's recorded that Jesus raised from the dead. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, the religious leaders, Jewish leaders at that time, were so threatened by Jesus' popularity and his power in other words, he's, he's raising people from the dead. He's turning uh, a water into wine. He's giving sight to people that are born blind. He's healing people that are paralyzed. Uh, and, and they get up and walk. He's healing lepers. And, and so when he raised Lazarus from the dead, if you read there, I believe it's in John chapter 12, they conspired together, the religious leaders, to kill Lazarus. To kill him. Because Lazarus was such a powerful testimony of who Jesus Christ was and is that they just couldn't stop Jesus everywhere he went he was making a huge impact and people were drawn to him because of his love because of his compassion because of his power uh, and because of his deity Jesus uh, is the savior of the world he changed the world at the cross. As a matter of fact, if you look at all of human history, you go back to the cross and that's where everything changed. Our calendars changed uh, because Jesus was born. Anno Domini uh, means the year of our Lord in Latin. And so we get A.D., Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, from the time that they uh, believed that Jesus was born. Uh, and before then, the calendar says B.C., before Christ or before Christianity. I find it interesting that the atheist scholars and the scientists and so forth, they really, really wanted to get rid of Jesus on the on the timeline uh, of history. And so they, they came up with an idea about 15 years ago uh, where they said, we're not going to call it A.D. or B.C. anymore. We're going to change it. That's too related to Christianity, and we want to remove God uh, from the timeline. So they came up with the brilliant idea of calling it CE, the common era, instead of AD, the year of our Lord, and BCE for before the common era. Fascinating. You ask them, well, what determines the common era? Well, the birth of Christ determines the common era, they tell you. So <laughs> they just can't get away from Jesus Christ. He is the one who has uh, come and made an indelible mark on our world. Jesus is the most recognized name on the planet. There is no one more well-known and popular on the planet. He's the most famous name on the planet to this day, Jesus Christ. Uh, there are more books written concerning Jesus than any other human being in human history. I would dare say that if you took all the books of all of the major figures of human history and you combine them, there's still more books written about Jesus Christ than everyone else combined. You think about that. 
I mean, he, he only lived 33 or 34 years. He didn't have the internet. He didn't have radio. He didn't have mass communication. Uh, he didn't probably, uh, travel, but, but by foot, maybe on the back of a donkey. He didn't travel more than a hundred miles from the place of his birth, born on the backside of the backwater of the Roman Empire in Jerusalem and Israel is where he ministered, the Sea of Galilee and Nazareth and, uh, and Jerusalem. And, and then he was, and then he was killed. He was taken and he was brutally murdered. So if, if Jesus isn't God, you and I wouldn't know who he is today. The world wouldn't know who he is. If he wasn't raised from the dead on the third day and that tomb in Israel is empty, we wouldn't know who Jesus is. But the whole world knows who Jesus is because he did raise from the dead. He was raised on the third day from the dead. But who is he? Why is he so famous? Uh, you know, he is he is loved passionately. Jesus Christ is loved passionately by those who know him, and he is hated passionately by those who don't know him. Many who don't know him hate him passionately. Um, why would they hate him? Well, primarily because of his claims of deity, claiming that he is God. Uh, we read in John chapter 10, where Jesus is uh, speaking here. He says this in John chapter 10, Concerning his deity, picking up in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and my father are one. And the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They got it. They were wrong, but they got it. Jesus was declaring his deity. He was declaring that his equality with God uh, means that he is God. Even the declaration that he's the only begotten son of God uh, is in essence that God has a son and therefore the son is just like the father. And so the, the religious Jewish leaders at this time thought he was uh, blaspheming. And it's, uh, that's the reason actually that they had him, uh, put on the cross was for the quote unquote crime of blasphemy. But what could Jesus say? He is God. How could he not be God? He's always been God, always will be God. God can never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's eternal. He's always existed. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so for Jesus to deny his deity would have been to deny the very essence of his character, his nature, and his attributes. And so, of course, Jesus declared that he is God because he is God. And yet those who reject his deity uh, hate him passionately still to this day. Jesus also claimed that he is the exclusive way to heaven. And that's another reason why uh, he is hated by many. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 6, the exclusivity of Jesus' claim. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Now, there are many churches today that will not read this verse from their pulpits 
because it's not politically correct. It's not, uh, you know, you may chase off some people who would otherwise sit there and, and write tithe checks to your church uh, if you tell them Jesus is the exclusive way to heaven. There is no second plan. There's no plan B to get to heaven. It's only Jesus. Jesus, who is God, by very definition, God cannot lie. So everything that Jesus says is the truth. And Jesus makes this very clear. I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And we think, well, that's not fair. There should be a second way. I should be able to, you know, take another road and all roads should lead uh, to heaven. But that's just not true. All roads don't lead to heaven. I don't know if you've ever been to uh, an airport, a big airport, LAX or uh, um, Kennedy, uh, John F. Kennedy Airport or Reagan Airport. Uh, and you have all these jets and all these planes going all over the place, you know, like a machine. It's like uh, a well-oiled machine uh, as they get these things off and land them and so forth. You know, if you want to go to Hawaii and you show up at LAX, you can't just decide to jump on any old airplane to end up in Hawaii. You have to get on the airplane that's flying to Hawaii. I mean, we understand that. If you think, well, I think I should be able to take any airplane and go to Hawaii. I don't like this exclusivity of the L.A. airport telling me I have to get on this airplane to fly uh, to Hawaii. I'm going to jump on another plane and I'm going to expect to get there. Well, you won't get there. You're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be. And so we understand this. If you want to get somewhere, you have to go that way to get there. We understand that. I mean, you all drove to church this morning. You didn't just say, well, I'm just going to get in the car and see where I show up and it'll be church. Uh, you know, it'll be Calvary Chapel. I mean, it's silly. So we know that rationally, logically, to get to a place, you have to go a certain way, follow instructions and directions to arrive at your destination. Jesus is just making it very simple. He says, no one comes to the Father but through me. He is the way to heaven. So for this reason, there are many uh, who don't like Jesus, who don't uh, agree with what he says because of his exclusivity. Jesus is the source of true life. And this is something that we as his people uh, know and we appreciate and we enjoy. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. Jesus is the only way to really find true satisfaction in this world. The things of this world will never truly satisfy. They will always leave you empty, wanting more. If you feed lust, the appetite for lust of whatever it is that you're feeding upon for your flesh, you know, it satisfies the lust temporarily, but then the lust and the appetite for that fleshly thing grows bigger and bigger and bigger. So the more that you feed the flesh, the stronger the appetite of the flesh uh, will grow. And, and yet, it will never truly satisfy. Money, fame, sex, power, uh, whatever it is, education, anything that you want to make your life goal and, and make your life objective, thinking that if I just have this, I will then be satisfied and fulfilled. In the end, you'll maybe get it, maybe you won't. Maybe you'll accomplish your dreams, maybe you won't. But in the end, it still will not satisfy you because the things of this world cannot satisfy the deepest longing of our hearts, which is uh, a relationship with our Creator, with our maker. And yet Jesus says, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. The living waters that he spoke to the woman at the well about, the, the torrent, the gusher of living waters that not only uh, satisfies you, but also satisfies those who are around you. Jesus Christ is the source of life. 
Now, the New Testament writers declare that Jesus is also the creator of all things. Not only is he the creator of everything, but he has always existed. And these, as we're going to see, are attributes of God. In Colossians chapter 1, and if you ever have the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, knocking on your door, bless their hearts, they're so sincere, but they're so wrong, they're so deceived in their theology because they deny the deity of Christ. Uh, if you just remember Colossians 1, uh, Hebrews 1, and John 1, uh, you'll probably send them packing pretty quickly when you open your Bible there and show them that Jesus is God from the Scriptures from the New Testament very clearly. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15 says this, And he is the image of the invisible God, speaking of Jesus, the firstborn of all creation, or the preeminent one of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things are held together. And so Jesus created everything. He is the uh, image of the invisible God. God is a spirit. Those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a consuming fire. Speaking of God the Father, uh, he's a spirit. Jesus came and took on a body. He took on flesh, a, a human uh, body, to come and to show us who God is. The express image of the invisible God. He is the creator of everything, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. Jesus created all the angels. He created the angels that later fell, that became demons, the third of the angels that fell in the rebellion in heaven. Uh, Satan is not equal to Jesus. It's not like uh, an Avengers superhero movie with a bad guy and a good guy that have equal powers and you don't know which one's going to win. Jesus created Lucifer before he became Satan. He is the creator of all things. Satan is, is a created being, a fallen created being. He's not equal to Jesus or even comparable to Jesus. Jesus created him. Uh, it says that he is before all things and that in him all things are held together. He literally holds the universe together. He's the one that is the atomic glue that holds all uh, of this universe together. Colossians 1. Now, Hebrews 1 also tells us something similar about Jesus being eternal and Jesus being the creator of everything. Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Verse 3, and he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. And so once again, we're told here by the author to the Hebrews that Jesus Christ is the only begotten Son of God that God sent into the world to be His final messenger, His final message to man. He sent prophets. He gave the law in the Old Testament. But then He came in person. In the person of Jesus Christ, God came to us to be the Word that became flesh to dwell among us. He's the final Word from God, the final prophecy. He came in person. He didn't send someone else to tell us about God. He came Himself to show us God. 
He is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature. That's why Jesus would say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He would say, I and my father are one. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. If you want to know how God uh, thinks about things, read how Jesus thinks about things. Read the Gospels because Jesus is equal to the father. And Jesus came to reveal the father to us. And he upholds all things by the word of his power. He made all things through whom he made the world. So that's a second scripture in the New Testament to show the record of the deity of Jesus Christ. He's eternal and he created everything and he is equal to God the Father. Third scripture is in John chapter 1, which is very well known. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So what are we told here? We're told that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Now, who's the word? Verse 14 tells us John 1 The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. So the word here is speaking. It's another name or title for Jesus Christ. The word is Jesus. So in the beginning was Jesus and Jesus was with God, the father and Jesus was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He created everything in the beginning. Before there was anything, he was there. He's eternal. He is God. And so for this reason, there are many who love him and there are many who hate him because of who he is, because many uh, uh, love God and there are many who who hate God. So to know Jesus is to really come to know God. So that kind of begs the question then, well, who who is God? Who is God? Uh, there are many religions. There are many gods. Uh, there are many false gods that are that are worshipped as God. Um, how how do we how do we define God? How do we uh, kind of pull God out of all of the uh, pantheon of false gods in this world? Well, there's a, a three things that really make God. Uh, uh, distinct and, and unique compared to all of the other gods that false gods that are worshipped on the earth. Number one, God is the eternally existing one. He's always existed. Everything else had a beginning. The whole universe had a beginning at one point, and it will have an end at one point. But God doesn't have a beginning or an end. Uh, he is uh, back to the vanishing point. Uh, as as the uh, original language would indicate in, in Hebrew, that God is he he's he's as far back as you could think, and then he's past that. That's how far back God goes. You know, you can't you can't you get to the end of the of the timeline, and God was there before the timeline began. It just blows our minds. But that's what the scriptures declare. And God will always be. He will always exist. So uh, no past. No future. God exists in the eternal now, the eternal present, and yet uh, God uh, is the eternally existing one. St. Thomas Aquinas, who was a 11th or 12th century, uh, century Christian philosopher, coined the phrase that, that Jesus or that God is the uncaused cause of everything. 
if you have a cause and effect sort of a system where, you know, you have this because something happened before this to get to here and everything is a, a series of cause and effects, well, where did it all come from? Where did it all start? It had to begin somewhere. It couldn't begin from nothing. Uh, someone had to start this whole thing in process. And so God is the one who started everything. He is the uncaused cause of everything that exists. Uh, it's like the, the watch that's made by the watchmaker or like the painting that's painted by the painter or the building that is built by the builder or the musical composition that is composed by the composer. If you have a creation, you must have a creator. Even a child can understand this. As a matter of fact, atheism is such a... Uh, and I was an atheist when I was in college. Uh, but atheism is such a limited, narrow viewpoint to think that you could have all the knowledge in the universe that you can know that there is no God. What arrogance that would be. That would mean you'd have to be able to know everything in the universe to even make the statement that you know definitively as an atheist there's no God. How do you know there's no God? Well, I can't see him. Well, yeah, that that's true. God can reveal himself to whoever he was. Just because you can't see him doesn't mean that he's not there. And so uh, it is. it is... Um, really folly for man to deny his creator and say, well, I don't believe that there is a God. This all just happened. It goes against reason. It's nonsense to believe that. And again, there's only maybe less than 1% of the world's population uh, that, that claims to be atheist or agnostic. For the most part, overwhelmingly around the world, people believe in God because from the time they're little babies, from the time they're little children, children know that if there's something here, someone had to put it here. If there's creation, there must have been a creator. But God exists outside of the space-time continuum that he created. So in other words, just like there's a, a painting, the painter doesn't exist within his painting or her painting. The painter paints the painting, and that's the representation of the painter's mind or his heart or his talents. But the painting is not the painter. Neither is the composition the composer. Neither is the building the builder. The builder builds the building, and that's an evidence that there's a builder or you wouldn't have a building. The same thing is true with God. He created the universe. He created all things, but he is not the universe as the Buddhists and the pantheists believe that God is is human and God is the, the bug and God is the frog and God is the tree and God is, you know, everything uh, as pantheists teach. That's not true. God created everything. He exists outside of his creation. He operates within the universe. The heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, the psalmist declares. And so he's bigger than the universe. The universe is 16, 17 billion light years across, and God's bigger than the universe. Even the universe can't contain him. Uh, but he is not the universe. He created the universe. He's outside of it. And he is uh, the creator that, that acts and operates within uh, his creation. So he's the eternally existing one. He's also, secondly, the creator of all things. As we, as we just read about Jesus, Jesus is the creator of all things, which makes him God, because God uh, is the only one who can create. He created everything out of nothing. He created all that is seen and unseen. In the beginning, Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, it's interesting that right there in the first verse 
of the first book of the Old Testament of the Bible, we have time, space, and matter that are referenced in creation. In the beginning, that's time. God created the heavens, that's space, and the earth, that's matter. So you have time, space, and matter all created by God at the, at the very beginning uh, of, of this uh, space-time matter continuum. In Psalm 100, verse 3, the psalmist says, It's the, the Lord who made us and not we ourselves. What folly to think that we created ourselves or even more folly to think that we evolved from monkeys or chimpanzees or primordial ooze billions of years ago, uh, and that all life came from nothing, all life came from non-life. Uh, even uh, scientists know that life does not come from non-life. You have to have life in order to procreate and to perpetuate life. So the Lord made us and not we ourselves. The New Testament tells us that in Him we live and we move and we have our being. We can't even keep ourselves alive. You can't plug yourself into a wall outlet and charge yourself up for the next day like you do your iPad or your cell phone or it dies. God continues to keep us working. He keeps us alive. He gives us every breath that we inhale inhale and exhale. He is the one that keeps our hearts beating and pumping the blood throughout our bodies. We can't we can't make ourselves, we can't keep ourselves alive. It is God who made us and God who is the sustainer of all life. Thirdly, with with the characteristics of God revealed to us in the scriptures, uh, God is revealed as all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. Omnipotent means all-powerful. Omni means all. Potent means power. He's all-powerful. There's nothing difficult for God. There's nothing impossible for God. There's nothing hard for God. God could do anything He wants whenever He wants. He is all-powerful. He is omniscient. Omni, again, means all. And the scient is the Greek for science, where we get knowledge or wisdom, knowing. And so God is omni uh, science or omniscient. He knows everything. There's nothing that God does not know. There's nothing that uh, he doesn't know about you or about me. God is all knowing. And this is one of the characteristics and attributes of God alone. He knows it all. He knows everything about everything. He can't learn anything new. There's nothing new that God can learn. He knows it all already. He is also omnipresent. You know, Satan can only be in one place at one time and uh, the angels can only be at one place at one time and you and I can only be in one place at one time. We're tied to the space-time continuum, uh, only able to be in one place and occupy space at one place at one time. Not so for God. God is everywhere all at once. He's not His creation. He's outside of His creation, but He fills His creation with Himself. So God is everywhere all at once. The psalmist speaks about this in Psalm 139. David says this about God and about his uh, omniscience and uh, his omnipresence. We read this in Psalm 139, verse 1. O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou dost know when I sit down and when I rise up. 
Thou dost understand my thought from afar. Thou dost scrutinize my path and my lying down and art intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, thou dost know it all. Thou hast enclosed me behind and before and laid thy hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain it. Verse 7, where can I go from thy spirit? Or where can I flee from thy presence? If I ascend to heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. And so the psalmist is declaring this, David, who knew the Lord personally, about the nature of God. God is everywhere at once. You can't ever get away from God. And that should comfort you when you're serving the Lord and living for the Lord. It should terrify you when you're serving the devil and living for the things of this world. Because God sees it all. You can't get away from him. He sees it all, he knows it all, and uh, he uh, is is everywhere all at once. Now, God has revealed himself to man primarily in three ways. General revelation, uh, special revelation, and then the coming of his son to the earth. And so general revelation is the sun, the moon, the stars, the animals, the rivers, the creeks, the people, the trees, uh, the oceans, the fish. Uh, everything that we see screams that there must be a creator. Again, if you have a creation, you must have a creator. And so uh, general revelation, Romans 1, tells us that all mankind is without excuse because the creation uh, declares that God exists. And so you have to, again, sin against knowledge to say there is no God or that the God uh, that, that is there is, is, is not the God you want to worship. You want to worship another God. Uh, general revelation does tell us that there must be a creator. However, general revelation does not really truly show us who God is, who, what his personality is like, because creation is flawed. Creation is fallen. You have tornadoes and earthquakes and rapists and murders and child molesters and all these terrible things, wars and all these terrible things that happen that man do to each other. You have the animals killing their babies and you know, lions kill their cubs and all these terrible things that happen in, in nature. So just looking at general revelation, you would say there must be a God. Otherwise, where did it all come from? But this nature does not really reflect or represent who God is. You need more revelation from who God is other than general revelation. So then we have special revelation. Special revelation is where God revealed himself to Adam and called Adam out of the Ur of the Chaldees and called him to be a blessing to all the nations and to found the nation of Israel through whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would come. Uh, Moses, God spoke to him through the burning bush to deliver his people uh, from the bondage of Pharaoh in Egypt and went up on Mount Sinai and gave him the Ten Commandments, which became really the standard of law for all civilized society from that point forward, the Ten Commandments of God. This is special revelation where God begins to reveal himself through his word to mankind. The law, the prophets, the whole Old Testament show us the nature, the character, the attributes of God, that God is holy, that God is love, that God is powerful, that God is just, that God is righteous, and that God is good. The Old Testament special revelation tells us this. But then God sent us his son, Jesus Christ, to personally come and deliver the message and say, I and my Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is the most special revelation. God's only begotten Son came to us to reveal the Father to us. And, and this is, this is why we are Christians. This is why we celebrate 
uh, uh, Christianity. We celebrate Christmas. We celebrate Easter. We celebrate every Sunday, the Lord's Day. We get together because God has sent us His Son to introduce us to the Father, to reveal the Father to us. Scriptures declare that God is one. He's three persons, uh, but He's one God, the compound unity of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The New Testament teaches this very clearly, but actually so does the Old Testament. Uh, Come, let us make man in our image, God said in Genesis 1, verse 26. Why didn't God say in Genesis 1, let me make man in my image? But He said, let us make man in our image. Image. He repeats that in Genesis 3, 22. Uh, he repeats it again in Genesis 11, verses 6 and 7. God refers to himself as us, as we, even though we know that the Lord thy God is one God. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy 6, 4. The Lord thy God is one God. So how could God be one and yet he is more uh, than one? Well, we know that God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, people say, well, how could that be? Wouldn't you have three gods? That's what the Muslims say. That's three gods. That's not one god. One plus one plus one equals three. Well, their mathematics is wrong. The formula is not one plus one plus one equals three. It's one times one times one equals one. God is one God, three persons. Hard for us to understand. Blows our little minds, but it is what the Scriptures declare concerning how God has revealed Himself to us. It's interesting that uh, God has put threes all over creation. Creation is made up of time, space, and matter in our space-time continuum. Time is experienced in past, present, and future. Another three. Space is revealed. We occupy space in three dimensions. Length and width and height. Matter comes in three different uh, ways. Liquid, gas, and solid. So there's threes everywhere in creation that you just can't get away from. If you take matter and you break it down, you have an atom. The atom is made up of protons, electrons, and neutrons. Once again, you have three. Uh, you take the protons and they uh, send them at light speed in a hadron uh, particle accelerator in Switzerland. They smash these protons together to see when they smash. They take a picture to see what it looks like. And they find that protons are made up of three things. Quarks, neutrinos, and boson particles. So everything just has God's fingerprints everywhere in His creation. There's three invisible forces acting upon us at all times. Gravity, electromagnetic polar uh, energy or power, and nuclear fusion from the sun. Three types of power and energy that we cannot really discern with our five senses, uh, but they exist in, in space and time. Otherwise, life could not exist. So back to the original question where we started. Who is Jesus? Well, He is God's only begotten Son. He's the Savior of the world. Uh, he's the one who took our sins upon Himself and died on the cross of Calvary for your sins and for mine. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that God made Him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so Jesus didn't just take our sins, guys. He became sin on the cross. And then he took the judgment and the punishment for those sins, the judgment that you and I really uh, deserve. So Jesus is 
uh, our Redeemer. Jesus is our Savior. He's the one who forgives us and gives us a fresh start and cleanses us, washes us white as snow. He's our Deliverer. He's our Healer. He's our Advocate with the Father. He's our Brother. And He is our Friend. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, Email us at coah podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church to Hatchapi, California. <laughs>